0: Hey amen. Well, let's take a, a look at this. Well, let me ask you first you, you awake this morning? Yeah. Was it tough getting up? Yeah, it was a little tougher this morning. But if we're going to be tired, we might as well be tired together in the Lord's house, right? All right, I got one amen there. So, those of you who are still thinking about what's going on this morning. Hey, I got here, and uh, this is the first time I can ever remember this. Uh, certainly, in my 11 years here. Um, I changed all the clocks when I got here to the correct time it was such a sense of accomplishment when I walked in uh, and and got that done so I'm, I'm pumped about that you didn't even say a word not thank you not hey good job nothing man tough crowd today it's tired so hey, let's jump into it. We're uh, we're looking at uh, leave it. We're looking at um, John chapter two, and we're continuing this journey through the Gospel of John. And this is a very interesting one because for the first time we get something that looks very uh, very supernatural that happens here in this passage. And so we kind of draw to this. In fact, some people would say, hey, this is kind of the beginning of Jesus's public ministry in the Gospel of John. Um, But I'm going to tell you it's not, all right? And we'll get into that uh, as we get going here. But what we're going to see this morning is what is declared in the simple act of doing a a water to wine here, a simple act for Jesus. Uh, What we're going to find is Jesus is actually speaking on another level. And the writer of John is actually making sure you as a reader know who Jesus is through this simple story. So, Uh, If you got your sermon notes, let's take a look at this and we'll jump right into this passage. The first thing we read there is on the third day. Now, I just want to pause and make sure you look at these things. Because uh, if you're like me, sometimes it's very easy to read something like that on the third day or therefore or after that or next. And we just read on, right? No big whoop, right? But like I know some of you. Some of you, like my friend Mike back here, is a big Star Wars guy. Some of you are big Lord of the Rings nerds, right, as well, uh, to which I'm involved. uh, Some of you, it's some other type of thing. And if you were reading Transformers, what is that? I haven't, uh, I don't, you know. And if you were like engaged in whatever that kind of thing was for you, and you came across a simple line by, like that, I know if it said, you know, the next day, I mean, Mike would be all over that in the Star Wars universe to tell us what's going on and where that fits in, those type of things. We would stare at Mike, and we would look like we're paying attention, we're being very like, wow, yeah, but we know we would be far checked out. That's just, that's just what it is, Mike, right? So let's not read past these simple things as well in Scripture we are going to find that John, who I told you the first week, he is the most embedded person with Jewish culture. It is so clear in his gospel that he was with Jesus. He was with this group. Everywhere they went, he went as well. He had that type of first-person view. And so when we see these things, what we're going to see is how important this pattern of seven days, of uncertain days, on how important it is. So. I just want you to look really quick and you see what John does here, is we have, at the very beginning, we have this, this John 1, 1, right, where we get introduced to the Word, so let's call that a day, and then we find uh, there in chapter 1, a little bit later, we says the next day, then we have later, uh, verse 35, the next day after that, Jesus calls some disciples, we walked through that last week, right, and some invited some others, and uh, it was late in the day, so it said the next day they went, uh, if you remember that. Philip and Nathaniel, and now we get on the third day, or in the writing here, uh, it would be three days later is kind of how we would read it. So three days later here, now we have a wedding celebration, a wedding celebration, and it would be on the seventh day of the start of the book of John, and you're actually going to see like, for you, it's like, whoa, what's the big deal there? you're going to see how many times, if you want to do some counting on your own and some some processing of patterns, how many times this seven-day cycle or how many times things show up on Sabbath or on seventh day. So John is talking about the significance, not just of Sabbath, but of the whole concept of the wholeness that comes through Christ. And so we find this type of pattern over and over now. Uh, wedding a wedding here anybody been to a wedding before probably I hope your own at least you yeah, right you know it lasted what 20 30 minute service you yeah. know then your guests stood around for an hour and a half waiting for picture <laughs> waiting for you to do pictures and they're like goodness gracious where are they you know then you ate maybe if you did that you know we were I guess cheap I don't know we served a nice cake and moved on um, then you might have had some dancing that kind of thing This Jewish wedding, seven days long, seven days, all right? So if you think about it, seven days, and it would have started on the Sabbath. The wedding starts on the Sabbath day. In fact, the first day of this is an outdoor, they're outside, and as they're outside, it is like a day of worship. What the first day of the wedding signified is not the couple coming together, it was everyone coming before God and acknowledging you know you are god you are the one we worship you're the one that's doing all of this that we're going to be celebrating throughout the week so you can see how sabbath played into the first day of the wedding then they had six more days of celebration and we don't have to walk through all of that i know some of you dads are like goodness the cost of a wedding for 7 days what would that be like right so That's what's going on here. So there's this wedding. It's in Cana, Galilee. Jesus is from uh, Galilee. So this is another small town uh, in that area uh, as well. And so that's where they find themselves. So Sabbath life is crucial to understanding the life Jesus offers. You're going to see that over and over in the book of. Of John, And so keep your antennas open when you see little things like Sabbath or Seventh Day. Or you actually put the days together to see that pattern as well. But then we have this little interaction. We get kind of the conflict of the story. If you take a look at that, verse 3, they don't have any wine, right? They don't have any more wine. Now, there really would have been one thing offered to drink. And it would have been this wine. Water wasn't always... The safest to drink. There was some fermentation that often happened to destroy the water. Don't think it, it's not necessarily as strong alcohol as we think to, today, but something to kill off what might harm them. But then, of course, there was full-blown wine, like you're thinking as well, and maybe even stronger than you might be thinking in wine uh, today as well. That's probably what's being served throughout the week. This is a celebration of a wedding. And so they run out of Wine here. That's a problem. In fact, not only is it a problem, but it's an embarrassment for the family that's hosting this and putting this on to run out, right? You might have, I don't know, we just had the Super Bowl, right? And maybe you had a little Super Bowl party, and you put some snacks out. If they had just kicked the ball off to start the game, and somebody said, hey, we're out of snacks, that'd be a little bit of embarrassment for you, as a host, you would say, "No, I wanted to plan better than that, so the food lasted longer." They would want this to last all week long, and so they run out. That's a problem. But here's here's what we see. Take a look at verse four in your scripture. I hope you have Bible. If you don't get it open in your phone, because you won't see all these on the screen. Jesus replied to his mom, who just said, "Hey, they're out of wine. Woman, what does that have to do with me? My time has hasn't." come yet. Well, first thing I want to address as we look at it, we read it through English uh, uh, ears, and we go like, man, he's a little rude to his mom. You know, woman, what does that have to do with me? But that would not be how they have, would have received it at all, and, and wouldn't he have said it that way. It would have been more, if I changed it to English, of dear woman or dear lady. It would have been a much more tender, caring type of phrase. But then he says, what does this have to do with me? He's saying, "Well, what do you what do you want me to do about it? Do you ever use that phrase? You know, well, I, what do you want me to do? You know, this is not really my place." Now, it's clear here in the story, if we step back, that we just read about what Jesus was doing the last three weeks, where he was at, and what was going on. Right, and he wasn't at this wedding, and the wedding was going on. So likely, Jesus was coming along with his disciples, probably on the last day of this wedding in fact the last day of the wedding was the day where everybody would come the whole community would come out to kind of see the you know the seal the deal type of thing going on here and then the couple was off to be just a a full-blown married couple so it's likely they're here but Mary's mother or excuse me Jesus's mother was likely here for a longer period of time In fact, it seemed like she must have had some connection with the family as well. Otherwise, to suggest to Jesus, hey, they're out of wine. Do something uh, about it here. So she might have had some role to play here. But Jesus is like, hey, we we just got here. What what does this have to do? What do you want me to do? But then he throws in an interesting line. My time has not yet come. My time hasn't come. This is the first time we pick up on this in the book of John. And it will be a dominant theme. This thought of my time, or you're going to see it as hour, or you're going to see it as my day has not yet come, or my the day is coming. Time, hour, day are going to be significant. I told you, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in their gospels, what they would like to do is they want to tell you a story about Jesus to a certain audience. John wants to tell you Jesus' purpose. That's all he cares about. And so in here, Jesus came to be lifted up, to go to the cross, to die on the cross, to raise from the dead. And that is how the writer is clearly clearly viewing that is the hour, that is the day, that is the time, because that is the purpose that Jesus came for. Now, that doesn't mean everything else he did isn't powerful and significant as well. He talks about life more in John than he does in the other Gospels. And that's what we get when we become a follower of Jesus. But John keeps steering us forward. And so you're going to see over and over, time, hour, day. Don't move past those too quick. In fact, I would encourage you as you're working through this uh, on your own or on Sunday morning's, Just circle any reference like that. Time, day, hour as well. Can I throw in another one, though? It's a little more tricky. Light, dark. You'll see that too. John uses those to describe why Jesus came. In fact, this past week at our midweek, we went to the end of the first half of John, and we looked at these these concepts and talked about them as well because they show up throughout So, like John, Jesus came for a purpose, and John is revealing this slowly to us with these concepts of time, hour, day. They're coming. They're coming. Now, when I was uh, coaching college baseball, in the fall, we would get together with the players, and we would basically work out all fall, because baseball is a spring sport, right, in college. But it wasn't like we could take a picture who had just come off summer break, and we could just the first day say, all right, go out there, throw 100 pitches, you know, have at it. Let's see what it looks like. You know, they, they, they couldn't handle that. They wouldn't even make it that far. If they happened to make it that far, I mean, they would be dead, maybe probably risking injury. So what would we do? We would say, all right, we're going to start today with 10 pitches, right? And it's probably going to be a flat ground. It's probably going to be about 70% at most, and you'd build. Why? Because their time had not yet come to throw competitively in a game. It wouldn't make sense. You had to work towards that. Jesus is actually building towards something significant in his purpose. And we get a little glimpse every time we see time or hour or day show up. And this is the first time we actually get to see this. This being revealed here. So now let's look at what Jesus actually did, this this miracle. So the next line, it says, nearby, there were six stone jars, right? There were six jars. Now, why were there six jars? These are big jars. It says they, they hold, you know, 20, 30 gallons. I mean, these are big jars, right? And they would be filled with water. Why? Well, because... It was a seven-day ceremony, the first day they were outside. The other six days, because there was inside celebration, there had to be some type of cleansing and purification done. And so not only did they need to actually cleanse themselves in the washing of the feet, you remember that story that Jesus did? Not only did those things, those practical cleansing needed to happen, there was a kind of a ceremony or religious cleaning as well that had to happen. We think in, day, in terms sometimes today of a wedding might be a Christian wedding, it might not be a Christian wedding, you know, it might be in a church, might not be in a church. But you got to understand, this is, this is all encompassed with God. This is all religious, what they were doing. And so there was religious cleaning, ritual cleaning that was done every day. We just celebrated Ash Wednesday, right, where there was a mark of, of ash on the forehead, there is a cleansing and a commitment that comes along with that. So think in terms of this is happening every single day for every single person that would go in and out. Every time somebody would go in and out, it would take a lot of water, right, for those days. A jar for every day is what it was set up for. And so Jesus actually uses these. And we don't know for sure if these jars were empty too, if somehow they didn't plan accordingly here in the purification. But I can tell you this. It might be an embarrassment to run out of wine and not have wine at the celebration. But it would have been a major problem to run out of this water for purification. Again, we don't know for totally sure. That's not how John says it. But Jesus takes these jars, and he tells the servants, now go fill these up. Fill them to the brim. And the, the servants go and do it, and they, they follow. But then he says, uh, draw some of them and take it to the head waiter. And they did. This is where it gets a little weird, right? Because why would you take purification water, that's going to clean some feet, and it's going to religiously appear. Why would you take that, and why would you take that to the head waiter? Or think about it, the master of ceremony. Why would you take that to the person who tastes the wine and says, great, send that out, we'll serve that? That doesn't make any sense, but Jesus, this is how he's going to reveal himself here. Now, here's what you need to know, and then we'll, we'll just kind of reveal what's going on, is Jesus is talking on two levels. Often he's talking on two levels. He's often talking on a literal level of what's actually playing out. And then he's often talking on a spiritual level. He's talking on a godly level as well. And we actually see these things start to play out. The water jars are for purification. That's what they're for, right? What was for purification in the religious uh, system for the Jewish people? The law. We've talked about that. The law was the Torah that we've studied before. That was their purification. The law. They looked at their lives, they compared their lives to the law, and they deciphered whether they were clean or pure or not. And if they weren't, they needed to do something to get themselves pure. This morning in the prayer time, I said, listen, if you need to confess something, confess something. What are we saying? We want to get right with God. We want to make sure we're, we're set with God And so dealing with sin, disobedience, is important as well. Now, it doesn't mean he kicks you out of the kingdom and says, you know, I no longer want to have anything to do with you. But it's like a parent who says, look, my child, you wronged us. You need to own that. And then what do you do as a parent? You come in and you say, yes, you're forgiven now. And you can move forward in right relationship with your kid. That's what we were talking about there. And that's how they saw the law. That's what they saw the law would do. For them, So water, pure, water jars for purification, think about it as a law. But then we have this head waiter who's the master of ceremony. The head waiter, master of ceremony, is actually there to kind of say, hey, you're good, to kind of be a, some kind of a judge here, to say that's good, you're good, continue on, no hold up there. And that we see in Jesus' day as the role of the Pharisees. That's what this particular group of religious leaders did. They interpreted whether somebody was following the law, whether it was, it was legit and good or not, whether somebody's heart was right, whether they had done the ritual right or not. That's what the Pharisees had to offer here. And so now what we see is Jesus takes, sends it to the headmaster, and the headmaster's like, What is going on? This is the best wine ever. What's happening here? Somewhere along the way that that water that was filled up became wine, and the headmaster 's blown away by what 's happening here. Jesus has done something uh, amazing he saved the day for the wedding. they now can serve wine and they can serve incredible wine now. but Jesus is doing something else too. Jesus turns his purification water that the headmaster was to approve and he makes it something unprecedented he makes it something completely unexpected if jesus had made it the worst wine right now i'm not a wine drinker so if you are you probably know at the grocery store what the worst wines are maybe they have the lowest price tag i don't know right jesus could have made it the lowest wine right the worst wine and everybody would have been whoo save the day jesus good because we were out but that's not what happens here. He makes it the best. It's almost like he's saying here, look, it was pretty good. Things were going along pretty good. And we would have even have taken a little bit less as if we could have continued on. And Jesus says, No, what I offer is something even better. It's even better than what you have before. That's what Jesus is offering here to them. It's even better. This miracle. On a spiritual level, this describes Jesus' grace. This this describes the life he came to offer. This describes his purpose that he came for. That he came to say, look, life can be good, can be fine, but at some point it kind of runs out on your own. But what I have to offer isn't just like what you had. It's not a notch below so you can keep going. It is even Better the life I have to offer. What I came for is even better. Think about it this way. Jesus' grace is better than human righteousness. As right as we want to be, Jesus' grace is even better than that. It's like Jesus saying, uh, my grace is like this 180 gallons of the best wine. Better than before, Better than you could even expect. That's what's being offered. That's what the story John is telling on this spiritual level. That God offers even more to us through Jesus. So think about it this way. What's currently offered is not enough. But what Jesus offers is more than enough. Isn't that how life is sometimes? Eventually, what we're after, what the world offers Or maybe what sin offers. Eventually it can't deliver what it offers. But Jesus comes along and says, I've got something, not to just kind of keep you going, i got something that's even better for you. That will sustain you and carry you from here on out. That's what this story teaches us here. I wonder if that's good news for you this morning. I wonder if it's a reminder for you. I wonder if sometimes when you hear a story like that or a message like that, what you do is you just think back to the day you said yes to Jesus. Well, I've I've done that then. I, I said I accepted the new life. I'm good to go now. I wonder if you forget that Jesus is offering this every single day to you. He's offering this. I wonder if you forget that there is actually more to believe and trust Jesus in as he's wanting to pour out an offer to you and to I. I think we see this in this next verse. And you may not have thought about it this way, but take a look at verse 11. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Kabod or kabod is uh, the the word there for glory. It shows up quite a bit. Um, All throughout the Old Testament, most of the time it refers to God, Um, shows up in the New Testament several times, mostly referring to Jesus. It's actually an economic term. It's a a weight term. It it actually is about when you're kind of, you have scales and you're weighing out to see how much something is worth, uh, the, the weight of something, the greater weight will tell you it's of more value. And so when he says that, His glory is revealed. What's being said here is his value is being revealed. His weightiness is being revealed here. And what does it say? And the disciples believed in him. Like Jesus is revealing his value. He's saying, I'm worth something. I'm showing you something. Now, I told you earlier, people think this is his public ministry, but really it's not his public ministry beginning. Really, there's just a couple groups that saw this. Probably his mom saw it or she at least knew what was going on. These servants certainly knew something just happened with Jesus. They filled it with water. They took it and it was wine. They knew something just went down. And his disciples. And how does it say his disciples responded? They believed. Jesus reveals his value through something he can do here. He reveals his worth. He reveals some weightiness. And they believe on that. I told you the first week that the idea of believe in the book of John does not mean they believe that Jesus came, died on the cross, rose from the dead, forgives them of their sins, and if they accept Jesus into their heart, uh, they can be saved and go to heaven. That's not what it means. It means they believed on the last thing that was done or said. What's the last thing that was done or said? Jesus revealed some glory by turning water to wine here. By saying, I have something better and more to offer. And they believed on that. They believed. They, they saw what Jesus just did and they're like, man, this, this guy's even more than we thought. And they believed on that and locked in even deeper. We're going to find there's even more challenging things that they would have to believe as it goes down the road. And here's the thing the same's true for us. For us, it, Almost every day, we're challenged to follow Jesus in a deeper way. That if we rest on it and just say, there was that time I said that prayer one time, and that you don't consider daily what Jesus wants to offer your life. That daily Jesus is actually turning something mundane into something amazing. Then we miss what he has to offer every single day. It's like this. Every day they had to go into the wedding and they had to be purified. Every day of the wedding didn't matter if they had got purified yesterday. They needed to do it every day. Every day here, Jesus came along almost like he's hijacking this whole thing and saying, "You know where you find, you know where you find your cleansing and your life in me, every day, every day, coming before me and receiving of what I have to offer your life." Here's a takeaway, a couple questions for you this morning. One is this. Do you understand the grace Jesus is offering you? Offering me. Do you understand that grace? That Jesus is saying, whatever your human righteousness, whatever your worldly way, whatever your striving in yourself, what Jesus has to offer is better. That's the story of this better wine. The second question is, do I understand... What Jesus offers is greater than what I can provide myself. It doesn't matter how much we strive. What Jesus has to offer is greater. Now, again, you know, it doesn't mean we just sit on a spiritual couch and Jesus does all the work. Our, our effort is put right into it. But what Jesus can do is greater than anything we could do on our own. And then finally, the question is, what would prevent you from today receiving His grace? What would prevent you? Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. or You've never said, I want that greater. I want to put my trust and follow him. Or maybe you've done it, but then you just move on and you haven't considered coming to Jesus daily and receiving from him what he has to offer every day. It's why we push on you to get in God's word every day, to have a quiet time every day, uh, to get connected with Christians who you can build into each other weekly, what would prevent you today from receiving His grace, from accepting that? We said during the prayer time, God, God's voice might speak to each one of you differently and call each one of you. But I think He's often always saying, just like here, it's an opportunity to believe. Like the disciples, they believed on the last thing they heard or saw. What is this last thing? Did Jesus say something this morning to you that you need to believe on? Well, let's pray. And if that's you, I'm going to let you do your own, your own business while we pray. So let's, let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you for, for this story. We thank you, Lord, that you can walk into a, a situation where on one level you can just uh, save a young couple from embarrassment and offer them This wine, this even better wine that amazes everyone. But Lord, uh, you can also describe yourself in this. You can also tell us that we can receive today that what you have to offer is greater and better. And that when our own effort and our own striving or what we had put our hope in and what maybe the world or sin has to offer, you have said, I offer something that's way, way better. you need to receive that this morning you need to say oh I want to receive what Jesus has to offer that he, is, that he is the real person that would purify me offer me life if there's something this morning Jesus spoke to you in this passage like the disciples there that last thing he spoke to you about would you believe on that would you say yes to that You say, I'm going to make a change in my life this week because of that. And we walk out saying, look, I'm I'm a deeper follower of Jesus because Jesus spoke to my heart this morning, and I said yes. I pray for great testimony from that, Lord. In your son's name, amen.